A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my finished Phoenix. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Each week, we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. This week on A Hero's Journey, we're reading Mockingjay, the third book in the Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins. This book picks up very shortly after Catching Fire left off with Katniss now in District 13, separated from PETA, um, and learning to deal with the new system in this district. Katniss is eventually forced to re-enter combat and act as the Mockingjay in exchange for pardoning PETA for his alleged compliance with the capital, the war against the rebels in the districts. PETA is eventually freed and PETA, Katniss, and other victors are formed into a sort of star squad to make propaganda videos for District 13 and the rebels. This star squad eventually enters the capital and goes on a mission to kill Snow. This book ends as Prim is killed and District 13 takes over the, all, the entirety of Pan Am. Let us start where we always start with our departure from the ordinary world and our call to adventure where you get once again, a calling card from your enemy, the president of Panem. Our adventure this week is actually going to be different from the previous journeys that Katniss has been on. It's going to be to free Panem from the tyrannical rulers um, that control it, where in the past, her journey has been more focused on saving her family, protecting her family, or getting through the Hunger Games alive. But the call to adventure I think is fairly similar to our previous ones in that the capital is the one doing it. Uh, when Katniss is exploring District 12, she sees that Snow has left roses on her dresser or table. Um, and that reminds Katniss of the terrors of the capital and the tyranny of its rule and kind of sets her uh, down this path to defeat the tyrannical rulers. Now, uh, the refusal of the call happens both before and after she gets this call to adventure, the reminder about how terrible the capital is, where she's not sure if she should continue the fight, where she wants to just retire, um, just live with her family, and no longer participate in the wider events of the world. For a mentor, I think we have to go back to Haymitch. Uh, Haymitch is the one who helps her get prepared and get back into combat he gets her, instead of just making propaganda videos from District 13, the safety of District 13, he gets her involved with the fighting. He gets her out into the field, out able to go do stuff again. Um, and Katniss says that he is her mentor, both inside and outside of the arena. For a crossing the threshold, I think that we could see this is when Katniss agrees to be Mockingjay. Um, in, in this, she's saying she's going to re-enter the world. She's going to go 
out and make the propaganda video. She's going to go out and be in the danger again, be in the combat. And there's also a danger here in the threats that Coin makes to Katniss when agreeing to her list of demands, uh, including that PETA will be pardoned. And really, this is a crossing the threshold because while Katniss has been on the national stage before and viewed as a Mockingjay, this is different. In, in the past, she's been in the arena. It's been fairly separate from the rest of the world, but now she's going to be the Mockingjay and going to be the face of a revolution. She's going to be in front of the people interacting with them more. And it's a totally different environment than what she's been in before. Uh, for her belly of the whale, I think that this is Katniss's first trip out um, where she goes to District 8 and she first records a message to Snow, the one at the end where she says, if we burn, you burn with us. Uh, there's no way that she can turn back now. She's made the video. She's made a direct threat to Snow and she can no longer turn back and sit out the war at home or in District 13. Now she's involved. She has stated that she's going to continue her involvement until the end. For your journey's outline, I think uh, you've chosen really what's the only option here. Yes, it, it seems to be a repeat for Katniss uh, here in the third book, but I think you had no other option, so we'll go with it. Um, I, mean, I think we also have to agree with Alex that although it feels like a repeat, technically it hasn't been her goal any of the other times. Her goal has normally been survival. Yeah, I guess when survival isn't the same as defeat, but at the same time, she's never really been free of the influence, so that's why it feels like a continuation. So for your call to adventure, um, I think that, yes, the flower from snow is a direct um, reminder of the capital and its terrors, but it feels like she's already been pulled into this uh, conflict, A, in previous books with her own actions, and even before that in this story um, with her interactions with the other uh, rebels, I guess, uh, is the best term to call them. I, I don't think that she's been in this situation before, especially not of her own volition. This is definitely the first time that she's doing this of her own volition and not just kind of like an accident that she's doing this. An accident. I mean, I wouldn't call volunteering in the first game and being specifically vindictful. And then in the second game, like going out of her way to to rile up the capital in certain ways and end up getting other people beaten and killed. So she did volunteer. Like that was definitely on purpose. But what was it on purpose was to become the symbol of the revolution. That was an accident. She didn't think that that was going to happen. If we even remember back to um, the end of the first book when Katniss and Pete are going to eat the berries. She's not doing that to get back at the Capitol. She's doing that because that's what she thinks will help both of them survive. And it accidentally becomes a symbol to everyone that, uh, that the Capitol can be beaten, that a rebellion is possible. Um, and in this, she's definitely more aware of what she's doing. Uh, from the call to adventure all the way to the belly of the whale, she's more aware of what's going to be happening with her and how she's going to be used as a symbol. So do we care about the awareness of the hero to be entering the journey? Like not to just to be crude about it, but we have plenty of times where the, the hero, you know, is getting into something over their head and they have no 
real realization of what's going on. So do we care about the intentions of the hero this early on in the journey? I, I think you're definitely right. Usually we don't care about the intentions of the hero. I think that the only reason I do here is because her mindset allows this to feel different from the other books. Um, I, I don't know if we said this, but Catching Fire feels like a very, very rehashed version of The Hunger Games. But this book, Mockingjay, feels different because Katniss's mindset is different. It allows the narrative to flow a different way. So I think it is important to consider that the narrative flows a different way because of Katniss's mindset. I would also say that maybe in looking at all three books, Zach, you might be right that this has always been her goal, even if she didn't know it. But those earlier books had very clearly very different goals, right? The person that she's up against now, she was actually actively attempting to collaborate with throughout the beginning of the first, uh, the second book. Mm. All right. So I, I think for me, that makes it a pretty clear that we're on a, a different adventure here and the flower kind of shape, right? This flower definitely shakes her out of her thought that perhaps she could just fade away. So I guess that leads me directly into a question of the refusal of the call, right? Because if you're talking, to, and I guess I need some clarification, you're using the flower as a juxtaposition, you know, she only is refusing after it? Or are you talking about the refusal she, she has before? Because, you know, we know she can't refuse the call before the call has happened. And it seems like what you're trying to say is that even the interaction she was having before this flower could be viewed as a refusal. I, I am trying to say that. Um, her actions, both before and after she sees the flowers, this fate in this, I, I think that the book uses this flower as a reminder to the reader and as a call to the reader that she can participate in this fight. But for Katniss, um, the time between getting out of the arena till now has a call in it that we just don't get to see on paper. Um, it's a call to participate in the rebellion more fully. I, I just, I, I can't remember. Are we told anywhere that they like, right in the very beginning that she was already made an offer that she'd turned down? Or has everyone just been treating her with kid gloves? I can't remember the opening. I think it's a combination of both. Like they're treating her with kid gloves because she's refusing to do anything. She was refusing to talk for a long period of time. Very mature. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, no, she has like extreme trauma and PTSD. Like there's so many reasons why she shouldn't talk and shouldn't be forced into this situation. She is treated with kid gloves a little bit because of that mental status. Yeah, so I I get what you're saying about the the before time helping to set it up for the reader, but I, I think strictly journey perspective wise, right? I still think it qualifies, but I think we do have to focus on the time after the flower for her still rejecting it. We're definitely being primed beforehand for her rejection. See, it's interesting that you say that because that was going to be my primary point, I guess, is that I'm not a stickler for most of the parts in our journey coming in order um, at all, really. I, I think that there's quite a bit of uh, fluidity in the order of the steps, especially in the initiation. But these two, I think, have to be in particular order. And I, I just didn't think that there was enough refusal on her part in order to get involved with the capital fight Uh immediately after and even if there was 
is the blackmailing uh, an appropriate um, a tool to pull her past that refusal? Is that really her overcoming it herself, or is that just her going along with it for now kind of thing? Are, are you talking so, about the blackmailing of coin? I'm talking about when they pretty much tell her, hey, we'd pardon PETA. Yeah, yeah, so that that is coin. I, I think it does so meet a refusal because she's being dragged out by several people. I don't know necessarily if coins threat on their own would work, but I think that brings us a bit into the mentor. Cause I think Haymitch does play a big part in actually getting us back at least partially to Katniss as we knew her before. So, which is interesting because I actually don't have anything against Haymitch here. I think we we've had Haymitch repeatedly over the books and I was kind of sad to see it. But then when you have a quote that pretty much just says, yeah, and I thought of him as my mentor, I go, all right, well, he's a mentor. Well, it, ha- it was his title two different times. <laughs> Do we have anything more we wanted to go in on the crossing? Do you think that the uh, taking up the mantle of Mockingjay in her own right um, is important here? Or do you think since she was already the Mockingjay in the eyes of the world, it loses some of its um, some of its potency. Yeah, I do think it's very important that she takes it up in her mind because, like I, I said earlier, her accepting it is why this book can be different. Um, and this, I think, is a very good point. Like, she has been used for the past two years, essentially, as the face of the rebellion without her consent and knowledge. And now she is accepting it. She is more fully in the role. Uh, I think it's very important that that happens. And so I, I agree with you, Alex, but that's why I'm curious because I feel like with that being the important part, uh, I have a little trouble separating it from the belly of the whale because right, her first attempts at being the mocking Jay are kind of panned for her not actually believing in it and it isn't until district eight that i think she really does step into the role so can you help differentiate those for me a little bit yes i can try the acceptance of mockingjay i think is a crossing the threshold because you know she's accepting the role but she's not actually doing anything with it yet if she had just accepted the role and then hadn't had that trip to district eight she would have been able to just reject it, right? With the trip to District 8, which doesn't happen immediately after her saying, I'm going to take the role. Like there's some time between it that they try and film that propaganda video just in District 13 and it's not working. And there's a big argument about like, is she going to be able to go out? Is she stable enough to go out? How are they going to protect her if she's out among the people? So once all of that is sorted out, and she actually goes out among the people, now she can't go back because now people have seen her. If she goes back, that will take away something from the rebellion. It takes away the mascot and the energy that she brings. Um, And she can't have that happen because she still needs to defeat the tyrannical ruler and kill Snow. And in her mind, she can't stop until she kills Snow. Well, I think we've already seen that the rebellion has the ability to uh, twist the uh, perception of the of the common people, or at least of the 
the people who are already rebelliously inclined. Well, you're know, saying that the thing would fall like would yeah. would fall apart without her, and I'm saying that I don't think that's necessarily true. Oh yeah, so I, I don't think that it's necessary. Like I don't think that she was necessary for the rebellion to occur, but once she involves herself in that way, stopping acting as the mascot would take away from the rebellion, right? They would lose something. Some people would get disheartened because she is gone. Okay. I mean, I, I'm sure that is a, 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 but I don't know if that necessarily is, is that why she cares? It seems like she only cares because we don't care about the rebellion's momentum per se. She, or is it so tied into her own goals at this point that the two are indistinguishable? I, I just think they're so tied in that it would be difficult to distinguish what the difference is. Um, until very later on in the book, when it becomes clear that she and Coin have different goals. But currently, at this point, until almost the end of the story, they're I mean, both aligned. I I don't think it's uh, right to say that it's apparent. It's not apparent until the end. I think it's as soon as Coin starts to use phrasing that could be considered blackmail. I think it's apparent that uh, Coin and the you know or Katniss and the Rebellion don't necessarily have the same end game. Fair enough. So I agree with that. And I guess that's the other part that um, that ties into my other question, Alex, which is more strictly on the crossing the threshold in the belly of the whale. Um, you talk about how important it is for Katniss to consent to being the face of the rebellion because she's been used without her knowledge on all fronts previously. But as we as we know, she is still being used, even if she doesn't acknowledge it at the time. Does that take away for you at all from this crossing of the threshold? Jack, I think that's a really good question. And I, I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, I She is still definitely being used. I, I don't know. She, she seems to have a little bit more control over how she's being used than she did in the past, definitely. But I don't have a good response to that. She's still being used so well and by so many different people that it's hard to answer. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think with that in mind, I am going to probably fall on, this, fall on agreeing with Zach on the crossing of the threshold, but I am still well on board with that belly of the whale. Yeah, I think the belly of the whale, but, but we hadn't really even gotten to it, but the, the, the point where she delivers a uh, unequivocal threat to someone who holds a large amount of power pretty much says, oh, uh, you know, she could have very well have tried to align herself with Snow and, and tried to, you know, play the double agent to the rebellion, I think could have been rewarded handsomely for it, even if her uh, morals would not have fallen uh, in tow there. But uh, I, I think once she's kind of, made that threat it's it's all i guess uphill if you want to view it that way well that's going to bring us to a close on our departure with just that crossing of the threshold missing starting us off at a pretty solid four out of five this just in dealing with a 7500 <laughs> uh which is apparently a reference for all you pilot fans out there yeah well uh, you pilot listeners <laughs> No, I am unaware of what I have just been informed, I should say. We come to our initiation, starting off with our return of the hijacked PETA. So like Jack said, the 
the road of trials in this, I think, is a little bit different than some other road of trials we've done. Uh, I think that all of the road of trials kind of start and weave in and out of the story throughout the book, starting from when she gets in the belly and continuing until the very end of the story. So the first trial she deals with is Peter's imprisonment, return, and hijacking mental state. This is a huge issue for Katniss as she needs PETA. PETA was her rock in both of the games and she has a time dealing with his issues and helping him return to himself and remember what he was and what is real. For her second road of trials, this is pretty basic. It's the training and combat um, that she deals with throughout, you know, in support of the rebellion in District 13, she undergoes a lot of different trials of strength and endurance and learning uh, to cope with her injuries and due status and going into active combat against the Capitol as well. Finally, her last trial is dealing with her emotions and thoughts about the Capitol, Snow, and Coin to an extent. She has to sort out her emotions and see who is manipulating her, who is using her, how they are using her, um, to come to this correct choice at the end to realize that President Coin is going to be a tyrannical ruler as well and use some of the same tactics that, that the Capitol used against the districts for years. All of these trials are difficult and Katniss grows uh, emotionally in strength and physical fitness and in her relationship with others throughout these trials. Uh, for a higher power, Zach, you're welcome. I think it's Finnick. He gives her a lot of help learning how to cope with both the situation and then later with a romantic partner or close friend, uh, depending on how you view PETA and their mental issues. Finnick gives Katniss the rope to use to tie knots to keep her mind off of issues. He helps her in sharing how he deals with Annie and her mental health issues. Um, and she uses those to help with PETA and his issues. And then he also provides protection uh, and you know strength when they're forming that super squad and going into the Capitol going through to try and kill President Snow. For a temptress, this is a little different. Uh, PETA is actually the one I think that shows Katniss this temptress. PETA, when he comes back from being hijacked, views Katniss as a selfish person, a monster, just terrible. And Katniss has many thoughts that she is these things, that she is selfish and just working for herself, that she is a monster who has killed dozens of people, which, it's true, she's killed dozens of people, but in self-defense. <laughs> um, it's not allowing her to view herself, you know, through the lens of the situation. It's just trying to view herself through the eyes of the capital, essentially. For an atonement with the creator, after, after the capital is conquered and Snow is taken prisoner, Katniss has a discussion with him in the garden and there they come to an understanding that 
yes, he was tyrannical, but a new tyrannical person is going to replace him. Coin is using the same tactics that Snow and the Capitol have used to manipulate the population, and now they're going to go even further with these tactics, and use the Hunger Games or a, a very similar thing to the Hunger Games to beat down the capital. And from this, we get our apotheosis that the realization that District 13 is also corrupt and that Coin is as bad as Snow. Um, she's it's still the tyrannical ruler and still going to control the population with an iron fist. And that leads to our ultimate boon where Katniss kills Coin, allowing a new person, a less tyrannical person, a less dictatorial person to take over Pan Am, uh, to lead it away from the tyrannical rules that it's had to more democratic or more benevolent rule. All right, so for your road to trials, uh, I think this first interaction with PETA is certainly something that is, um, is trying for her, but I'd like to know, it's, it's fairly apparent um, in the second trial, right, what she does uh, in a matter of agency, right, how she actually affects it. Um, I just want you to lay out, perhaps for the listeners and, and for the argument's sake, why in trials one and three, what she's actually doing to progress it, right? How much of it is her? How much of it is actually on PETA here and his own uh, actions and volitions uh, and not just saying, oh, she's, you know, it's all on her kind of thing. For the first trial, um, some of the some of the burden is on PETA, right? PETA has to uh, work to regain his memories and to defeat the hijacking. But a lot of this is on Katniss too. Um, I think that this is best shown in her discussion with Haymitch about PETA, where he says, you know, you are not doing what you need to for him. He is not being supported by you. You have to work with him to help him remember his memories. You have to work with him and treat him the same way that you treated him before to get him to come back and to realize that you're not this monster that he sees you as right now. So there is a lot that Katniss has to do to work to return PETA and really to rebuild their relationship. Most of what the hijacking is, is taking away his view of Katniss and replacing it with a different one. So she has to work very hard to rebuild that relationship, um, which is deprogramming PETA from his hijacking. And then for the third trial, I think this is all Katniss. She's working through her emotions and thoughts about the Capitol and snow and coin throughout this whole book. She has to think about this. Um, she talks over what's going on and what she sees happening with a, a ton of different people, with Gale, with Fennec, with Haymitch, with Plutarch, with Boggs even, Boggs being the kind of bodyguard for Coin and a high-ranking soldier in District 13. So she's working through all of these things um, emotionally and mentally to, to decide why she's fighting against the Capitol, why she's fighting against Snow, and why District 13 is not the correct replacement for the government if she wants to free the people of Pan Am. So I 
do uh, appreciate that she has a strong hand in Peta's recovery. I, well, I, I'm willing to appreciate that everyone else thinks that she does. Whether <laughs> or not she actually does is, is a whole uh, is a whole other point. But um, for the last one, I guess it, you're just saying that that those emotions are what allow her to actually accomplish her ultimate boon. Gadness has to work out her emotions and thoughts about the capital to realize that District 13 is going to be a very similar ruler. And I know that we have this discussion with Snow in the garden, but she doesn't trust Snow. She has to, she has to have had this journey and already be thinking that, you know, District 13 is a little bit corrupt. It's a little bit tyrannical. It's a little bit off. It's not what I thought would be replacing the government. So she can have this like realization at the end after hearing Snow say the same thing that, oh, you know what? He's not lying. And, you know, just- Has he ever lied? Has he ever lied to her? He make a point in one of the books of even saying that? Like, I'll never like, lie to you. Uh, yeah, he does. He does. And he doesn't lie to her. He just doesn't always tell the 100% completely honest truth. Like, she doesn't trust him enough to accept that he is telling the truth all the time. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly willing to uh, uh, to agree with. You. All right, um, Jack, do you have any questions about this trial? Because I think I've I've highlighted things that poke holes in it, but I don't know if, how how far I've gotten. I think you've made some good points, but I do have to agree with Alex that they all feel like emotionally progressive steps that she has to go through. Go through, otherwise, we get to the end of the story, and she prop or the ultimate boon of the story, and she probably doesn't shoot coin. So for the meeting with the higher power, uh, I like Finnick as a character, and I think he is certainly um, on a comparable power level to our champion. But I a would not say that he is of a higher power. So there's, uh, which is a shame for me to really say because if we just look at her influence over Panem, it's uh, it's obviously at a higher level than Finnick at this point. Yes, he was the golden boy coming into the, uh, into the games, but uh, now we certainly see a different side of things. And um, second, I don't know how much of it is Finnick giving her these gifts as it is like her actually just working through them herself. I feel like it's a, it's kind of a lot to put on Finnick to say he's responsible for these things um, that that you're saying he is for the figuring out snow, uh, the rope to help cope. They're all things that I feel like aren't necessarily Finnick specific, and they're more the things that you're attributing to her own road of trials. I mean, those things definitely help her on the road of trials, right? Like, it's not she doesn't go through the road of trials on her own. She she gets some help, and Finnick I think is one of the bigger helps towards those uh, goals. Yes, I want to dig more in on the rope in sort of helping to bring Cat again. Once again, being part of Catness's emotional journey because I'm not, I'm not very sold on the just because of the way the book plays out in the end that any information she gets about Snow is relevant because they just kind of run around the sewers and then get to beat them. Complete, fail to complete any of their missions and then <laughs> the war would have gone completely fine had they done nothing katniss needs those uh, moments in the tunnels again especially <laughs> with, with bogs she needs that interaction with bogs to 
to start forming a distrust for coin. That is fair, I guess. But how does Phoenix information on snow help us get there? Or we can just dig in on the emotional angle because I think you got a stronger point there. I mean, I, it is the emotional angle. It is it is Finnick pushing her, her to grow emotionally and to help her deal with a mentally unstable partner. Uh, and one other thing, Finnick, his information about Snow and how he blackmailed all the capital and how he uh, manipulated even people in the capital that he gives, Finnick is able to give this information because, yes, because he was used as a prostitute by Snow. Um, Man, this book just got so dark. It is not, dark. Not, not, not that the first book was like, la-di-da, children killing each other, but... Yeah, um, that information that Finnick provides in, in that propaganda video helps helps the rebellion um, gain more support in the wider world. You're not wrong. I just don't think it necessarily helps us accomplish our final goal of if the ultimate boon is killing coin... I don't think this interaction with Finnick does that. Okay. Yeah, but I I do think that without Finnick, right, perhaps Katniss does never figure herself out. And there's a very mute, placid girl married to Gale somewhere. I'm not as happy about it as I was expecting to be, but I do think... I do think Finnick gets across the line for me. I think there could have also been a case for Joanna as one, right? That from our supporting cast. Um, but I think Katniss spends more time helping her than Joanna spends helping Katniss in the end. So I feel for your temptation here, or your temptress, that usually the things have to be false or a bad line to take, right? I don't think it's wrong necessarily for. Uh, for Katniss to have a little self-reflection to realize that perhaps uh, she is responsible for quite a lot of death and suffering in this uh, messed up world that we see of Pan Am. Uh, so two things. One, this view is of her in a vacuum, right? It doesn't take into account the context of her situation, why she has done some of these things, because she's been forced to do some of these things under threat of death. She's been manipulated by other people and she's been traumatized leading her to some of these actions um so that is the first point this i don't think that this is true she does have some small responsibility but for most of the things that Peta is saying she's done she doesn't have responsibility for this she's not responsible for you know bombing of the capital or sorry bombing of the districts she's not responsible for deaths in the arena necessarily right there there is there is a lot of context that is missing from Peta's view of her and as to how this stops her from the journey if she was to view herself as selfish and as a monster how could she trust herself to realize that coin is also going to be tyrannical she might be viewing that from her own selfish point of view thinking maybe she should be the leader right she has to reject this idea that she is a selfish person and a monster so she can continue to fight for the rest of the the pan am so she can unilaterally dispense justice as she sees fit <laughs> yeah i think i think you fall short a little bit there uh, alex because if we look at her motivations that we have in the beginning of the story that you've laid out in the departure right um those motivations don't necessarily require a um 
moral justification, right? She seems to be, and as the story progresses, doing it from more of a self-benefit, you know, cost-benefit analysis for herself and her loved ones, less about a uh, this is the moral high ground sort of mode. And I, I don't think we've really been focusing on that morality per se because, you know, later in the book, we even talked about how her sister's death is what's driving her at a certain point. What At what point does her morality in either side actually matter if the quest at the end is shown that the side she was fighting for wasn't necessarily the moral high ground to begin with? It's the point at the end where she, if she viewed herself as a selfish monster, she wouldn't have been able to stop Coin from taking over. Right. I it's, I don't I don't necessarily agree. I think if she, it's it might even make. How it... could she trust herself though? How could she trust herself if she views herself as this selfish monster? I, I think we're we're not giving Alex enough credit. Is on the dividing line between truly viewing herself as a monster, which is how Peta is sent back to her. So I think I think if she'd em- embraced that she was selfish, it might have made it easier for her to make her decisions at the end. But I do have to agree that from what literature tells us, the people that truly think of themselves as monsters tend to lock themselves away versus the people that think they're justifiably bad. I like that line of uh, that broader literature scale, but I don't know if we can apply that to her because I feel like that is putting a lot of like moral and philosophical learning right or or at least observation onto a character that maybe not would not be applying that to herself i I get where you're coming from but i i do think that you and i are tempted to put our own annoyance with katniss's lack of self-reflection onto alex's some alex's legitimate point that comes with it right she gets played by self-doubt but rather than having a real catharsis right she doesn't I think the part that bothers you and Isaac is she doesn't really seem to overcome this temptress so much as just shove it aside and ignore it. Okay. That, and you don't think that the lack of overcoming it takes away from the step. The step just I, has I to be the presentation bad. of the temptation, not necessarily the conquering there of it. I think it makes it bad writing and bad character development, not necessarily a lack of Campbell-esque right. I think that's what the point is trying. I think, once again, the point is trying to be there. We're meant to feel like this is meant to be a chance for her to slide away into hate, hatred and hatred of herself. And she bravely rises against it and accepts who she is, even though that's not really what happens. Yeah, I think that that's what the intention is. And I think you're right. The character development is not there. And I have a lot of issues with the story, especially at the end. But one of the biggest things is that the character development is very lacking in this book. So far, our atonement with the creator, I don't really like this discussion with Snow because while it does help her, I guess, come to that apotheosis, I I feel like there are enough outside influences in her life that Snow, especially with how easily he becomes captured right in the story and how little it actually has to do with our, our primary cast of heroes that uh, it's hard for me to say that she wouldn't have been able to come to the same realizations had this interaction not happened. If we've already been, if we've been setting the groundwork for it, like this entire story, um, why 
why is this one thing the thing that does it? This this talk with snow. That's what you're saying. Okay. Well, let me, let me let me let me let me let me zoom back from uh, in a in a podcast sense away from what the recording is. Okay. The, I, but the argument. That, no, shut up, Google. <laughs> one second. I'm gonna enjoy this song. I think it does definitely meet the very literal definitions, right? Like Snow is the closest thing we have to a creator, and she definitely, this conversation. I don't know why Google decided to play this, but it's almost it seems a lot like an atonement. But I, I, I'm, I would personally be hung up on the central point because it feels like that hallucinatory conversation with Prim could all, also work as her, like, getting a step closer to forgiving herself, which fits more with the other thematic points around the atonement. But I guess what I was trying to, the thing I'm trying to get at is yes, she doesn't have a father and he put her into the hunger games. And it's the problem I have with it is if you've been laying the groundwork for district 13's ultimate, like the, the reveal about district 13's true intentions, uh, it seems like this conversation, a wasn't needed and B, didn't come about through any actions of herself or Snows. And I, it seems like in most of our stories, the atonement, like the, the interaction between them two is the direct result of some sort of actions that are done by either party. And this seems like something that was very much done by a tertiary party. Okay, so I see, I see those points. And I don't have anything necessarily against them. Um, one thing I'm going to use to kind of further my argument is the the central point of the story thing that we like to, to talk about. So Katniss, for the majority of the story up until this discussion, her stated goal, not her real goal, but the stated goal is to kill Snow. And then after this, this discussion allows her to get that crystallization of the idea that District 13 is tyrannical. You're right, there have been crumbs spread throughout but after this discussion is when she really accepts that that is true. Um, and that leads to the rest of the story, you know, the killing coin and then the end of this tale. Um, without the conversation, she might have still come to the same conclusion, but I don't think we can say that with certainty. I, I, I do think you have a stronger argument with the um, center of the tale thing, but I, I don't think... Uh, it meets enough of the, I guess, second and third points, or even first and second points, depending on the order you want to put them in importance, that the the step meets for me. Do you think the fact that Snow is, I don't want to say evil, even though he is, you know, tyrannical and 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 evil, but do you think that the fact that the information that's being gleamed by Katniss is coming from what she considers to be a disreputable source. You've already said that she doesn't trust him. The fact that the information is coming from that could be viewed as one of those. If we just talked about the temptress and how she's a monster, right? And she's being played and all these things. Why is she able to have that confidence when she just spent the whole book thinking she got played by Snow and, and all these different forces? Oh, now this realization that this person who I've not trusted the entirety of my adult life, uh, even though that's been not very long, um, why is she able to trust him enough to, to take action on this? Flawless logic that he lays out. 
<laughs> That's a good question, Zach. Um, I think partially because, you know, it, it's true. Like she can see that what he's saying is true from her own experiences. And partially because I think we already mentioned, he promised never to lie to her. And I can't think of a single instance where he has lied. I know that he has obscured the truth. He's been manipulative, but he's never outright lied to her as far as I can remember. Yeah, I'd have to look over all of his lines to try and see if there was like something, but he does a pretty good job of not lying. I will say, I think the other thing that kind of helps with that is that he's right. He's telling her the truth and it's not as if he follows <laughs> it up with, you should kill the president, <laughs> right? Like when, when we get to our ultimate boon, Snow is just kind of dying with a smile on his face, but I don't think he was actually expecting the outcome that he got from this. Somewhere in there, we probably have enough edible material for me to agree with Alex. Is a hero. Well, if we're taking such draconian views of creators, uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how we would take any other view uh, on the apotheosis here. You've, it, it is the only realization in this book that I think matters. <laughs> They, there are dozens of realizations from half a dozen characters, and I think this is the only one that has any true significance. So, yay. All right, and then for your ultimate boon, I would like to tell you that it is not an ultimate boon, but the journey that you have chosen, which is to free Pan Am from tyrannical rulers, being a very ambiguous term, is well chosen because not only does she, uh, you know, essentially rid the world of of snow, but she does also of coins. And that's going to bring us to a close on our perfect initiation, which rolls off the tongue really poorly for a book that I think gets really sloppy around this time, but it does still hit all of Campbell's points. Being nearly trampled to death in a riot we incited, we come to our return. So for a refusal of the return, Immediately following uh, the death of Coin, Katniss is captured and imprisoned, and here she thinks of suicide, um, and she thinks that the capital is going to take control, and it, it, like what she did doesn't matter. That she's, she's lost, and she doesn't have a way out, and that suicide is the answer for her. Um, for a magical flight, uh, for a rescue from without... The witnesses at her trial save Katniss more than anything else um, from being killed, essentially. For a crossing of the return threshold, I think that this is probably the only good point in this return. Katniss goes back to District 12. She goes back to the home that we got the call to adventure in um, and starts to, and starts to uh, make a new life for herself. For a master of two worlds, I don't, I don't know what two worlds Katniss could have mastered. I, I don't see any worlds that she's been growing in that are still relevant at the end of the day. And for freedom to live, I think the book tries to give us this with Katniss going on to live her life with Peta and having children um, and raising a family in District Twelve in a more safe and secure place uh, in a better society. So for your refusal to return, um, I just think it 
falls short simply because she's now accomplished her goals, right? And she's dealing more with the traumatic fallout of the task that she had to do in order to accomplish the ultimate boon than she is truly uh, refusing things, right? I just think it's more of a uh, an automated response and less of a conscious decision. She's also just wrong, right? Like... She's thinking. Well, that's irrelevant. I mean, I I agree. She's just wrong, but well, no, but it, but it is right. We've argued before with our refusal to return that that it's a mix of the two, right? What our character believes can be important, but also the truth of the situation can be important, and it feels this always struck me as deeply weird. And to continue this point, if she's achieved her ultimate goal, and you know, if the ultimate if the goal was to free Pan Am from the tyrannical rule, she's already done that and so she's already kind of shared what she's learned and so there really can't be a return right on the in the grandest scheme of the definition of the word well but she can go she can go back to a new normal suicide is the closest her contemplating suicide is the closest thing we have because it's regardless of what the future that's coming for her is it's her attempt to avoid it so in that part it does fit a refusal to return to some kind of normal, but I, I am biased here because I think the, this entire interlude just never worked for me. There is other wisdom that she could share. She could share the knowledge, like how she identified that Quinn was going to be a tyrannical ruler. But she doesn't. I know, I know, but she she could. There is a possibility for a return here. And again, this is part of why the book falls short for me. It It doesn't live up to those promises. Like, I think Katniss should have done something different after. I don't disagree, but I feel like we see the effects strongly in the short term and 0% in the long term. I think ultimately I'm going to come down on the side of not meeting our threshold for being a refusal to return. But this is always a point that I'm kind of really interested in with the journey, and it's been coming up a little bit more lately uh, because the return to a new normal versus the return to a previous normal and sort of this idea of bringing the ultimate boon with you can kind of get wrapped up in sort of how quick the end of a story, a story, especially at the end of a trilogy comes. So let us know what you think. You can always reach out to us at a hero's journey pod uh, at gmail.com or a underscore heroes underscore journey on Twitter. Uh, we're always excited to hear from you. So moving into our uh, magical flight, Jack, she doesn't seem to go unconscious. I mean, presumably she sleeps. I get, I understand a bit of Alex's argument that the sort of like dreamlike fugue state that she lives in kind of from our atonement with the creator onwards, if we're being honest, has some magical connotations to it, but it doesn't, doesn't rescue her from her ultimate boon, right? There's no... The danger, right, she's still very much in the danger throughout all of this time in the tribute hall. Yeah, it, it, I, if I was trying to remember back to my first reading when I was doing this, and I remember actually feeling a little bit of apprehension, like what's going to happen now? Um, it's hard because it's been so long and Nothing. I've seen the movies. But back then it was, you know, what are the consequences of her actions really going to be? Is this... Is this going to be a big deal? And I, it was, you know, just ended up being nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, but I will say the first time I read this, I remember the 
when she chooses to shoot coin, misreading that sentence and being really confused when a riot started after she shot snow. And I did go back. <laughs> That's why everybody's here. <laughs> why are they rioting? Since there are no consequences for her actions, there's nothing to rescue her from. And she, you know, she doesn't really get magically whisked away from anything of, of, of substance, right? I think that's fair. It, it does fit in uh, both place and a little bit in feel for me, but there are definitely arguments against it. So for the rescue from without, um, you're saying that the witnesses at her trial who eventually say that she is uh, innocent, quote unquote, right? Or, or I should say more adequately, don't find her guilty are what save her from the consequences of her own actions and therefore are the, the good guys? Um, when you phrase it like that, it sounds bad, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were there ever going to be consequences to her actions? Like from a from a super meta standpoint, like she's the hero of the story. Can she actually face the consequences for this? Well, no, not even it, meta, from like, like a real, just, yeah. from like a realistic standpoint. Yeah, like. The hero of the rebellion, who you all were willing to follow unto death, uh, shot, right, declared the president to tie, right? Like, if this was Darrow, we'd just be expecting Katniss to be declared the leader. Like, I don't know. Definitely be another, like, riot and probably a, a small war if Katniss was declared guilty and, like, they tried to kill her or even imprison her for life. That, that, I can't imagine that flying. Where do we fall on our rescue? Well, Alex kind of agreed with me that it doesn't really feel like it's realistic for there to be consequences for her actions, so we're rejecting it and moving on. Well, I guess we get that to the crossing of the return threshold, which Alex has self-stated is the only point he truly believes in in this entirety of the return, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on it. The District 12 scene in which he actually gets to go home, I think, is a good one. Um... But do you think because it doesn't have as much permanency that it falls short or is it, do it doesn't need to for this step? It just needs to pay, you know, lip service to it. Well, what do you mean by permanency? She, she does spend the rest of her life in District 12. Um, but it's and... not the same, right? District 12 to her was so wrapped up in, you know, her sister and, you know, with the whole point of this book, right? Uh, the whole point of the series was that her sister was going to go die and she volunteered instead. And so the fact that she is now here, but San's sister. Um, well, San's everyone from District 12. That's yes. a good point. That's not something I, I thought of. And this is an argument I've made before that like the community and the people um, can instead like replace that location. But like the Asgard location is isn't the place. As the Asgard is its people. Right. So that's a really good point. Um, I guess PETA is there and Haymitch is there. Man, three out of 3,000. We're <laughs> going for broke. I mean, if it's just the physical place, like, who really cares? And at the end of the day, correct me if I'm wrong, the place that they're living is the place that she was given anyway. It's not even the hovel that she had at the beginning of the story. No, it's the... Um... It's the Victor house that she got. You're, yeah, you're exactly. There. So it's the thing that she's given. It's not even the original. So it's not the place that she started this particular journey because she started it in District 13. 
and it's not the place that she started at the beginning of her three books uh arc. yeah um yeah and now that we're like hitting on the point and i'm feeling less and less confident about it one other thing i want to bring up for the crossing the return threshold this is where you share the knowledge of the ultimate boon and we already hit on she doesn't you know share the knowledge she she just lives her life and and what i think is a not very satisfying conclusion to the story it's quite physically a crossing of the return threshold to a new normal but again it, everything begins to feel so out of character that zach is kind of swaying us both here honestly zach thank you for pointing this out because i think I, both of us jack and i were both swayed by the fact that it's the same physical location that we started with but for everything else it just doesn't fit i think we can all agree that there's there aren't two worlds as alex said by the end but i do feel like we should acknowledge the freedom freedom to live a little bit more uh we all personally have talked about it before how we feel that it's kind of a weird betrayal of the character in a way that doesn't make sense and that right the are you talking about the the man selection is the betrayal no, no. the choosing to have children oh, okay. and right the getting to raise her kids happily is is truly presented to us as her freedom to live. I just looked at the Wikipedia summary because I was curious to see if there was anything in like the reception. And it's literally phrased as Katniss is viewed as uh, happily reflecting on her life as she's so happy about her children. And I distinctly recall the fact that the ending talks about it in a way where it's like, and I did eventually have children because Peter just wanted them so badly, even though I never wanted any. Like I don't, I don't remember viewing her as a particularly happy person with the end of her when we cut to 20 years later. So the only argument I have against that, and it's slightly arguing against my point, but I don't think it's strong enough to really think there's a real freedom to live, is that I think it's very reasonable for someone to have spent their life like she did to have the mindset growing up, like, why would I want to bring children into a world like this? Like. But at the end of, and then what she's done is she has created a better world, and therefore her view on children could have reasonably be ch changed, been changed. But she's talking about the children in retrospect, right? In this chapter, she's saying, I never wanted children, meaning up to a certain point, even after the world had changed, I continued that belief. And it wasn't sort of a, oh, I made the world a better place. Now I can have children in it kind of mindset. But I could, if, if they had played that up a little bit more, I would have been happier with this point. Yeah. And the reason why she doesn't want to have kids is another reason why I don't think there's a freedom to live. She's still living with the trauma of those experiences. That's not going away ever. It's realistic, but it takes so much away from her freedom to live. There's always going to be that outside influence, even though the people who caused the trauma, like Snow, are gone, it's still there. It's still influencing her. And if even we want to her thoughts of having children or not having children, and if we want to look at it on the most basic of levels, right? She is still being influenced by Peta to do something that she didn't want to do. Therefore, <laughs> no freedom to live. Like she even just states it. She goes, "I wouldn't have done it, but you know, Peta wanted it, so we did it." Yeah, well, uh, that is going to be a complete zero for the return. That's um, funny. We went we went all for nothing on the initiation. And yeah, the uh, but you can reach out to us if you think we've 
uh, once again, this is our opinion on how this matches up with Campbell's steps. Uh, let us know if you think our personal biases have gotten led us wrong here. We're always really, once again, excited to hear from you guys. And that is going to leave us with a final score of 10 out of 17, putting Katniss just below our threshold for being a Campbell hero, uh, which is also her first, first time not making it. She made it for her other two books. Coming in on our closing thoughts. Um, I think it's become very clear across this episode that this is a series that think all of us have enjoyed and I think all of us much like a lot of the populace at the time were quite disappointed in this third book um, I don't want to rag on it too much because the world is still very rich I just I feel like a lot of character development doesn't hold up well throughout this third book and actually I think the more that they try to explain the capital to us the less interesting it became, which was kind of disappointing because the districts were all still very varied and it was very fun getting to see those each individually after we only got to see a handful of scenes set in them in the last books. Uh, sort of the Jack, I really liked the Hunger Games. I thought Catching Fire was pretty good. And then Mockingjay, I, I was disappointed. I think up to a point, this book is good, but then it shifts for me. Um, and that point, I think, is when Boggs dies. I think that the, the book should have taken a different route than it did to a more satisfying ending. Instead, it kind of zags and stuff kind of falls apart, especially in our return. And one thing that, like, to just emphasize how I think the book turns, um, when Prim dies, that should have been a major point, right? We didn't even mention it in our journey because it doesn't affect the plot as much as it should. Yeah, and I think that... Yay! Oh, thank you. I can't imagine why any any person voted for killing children. Yeah. It's a bad take. We watched all... You all know the innocence that is lost. Because the entertainment value was up there. <laughs> the ratings were off the charts, and that is the only way we are rebuilding this government.